So John chapter 20. And we'll read from verse 26 down to 31. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the account uh, we have here of uh, John uh, as he's written down these things for us uh, to see uh, Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, our Saviour, and uh, the great work he has done and accomplished in uh, bringing salvation to the world for lost sinners. So as we have a look at these uh, scriptures and uh, go through them, Heavenly Father, and be reminded uh, of your goodness and your mercy toward us, Lord, and that precious blood that was shed for us in Jesus Christ on that cross. In Jesus' name we pray this. In, our, in Jesus' name, amen. So we see here in this passage uh, an account written by the Apostle John. You know, John was a disciple of Jesus Christ. He was one of the uh, 12 apostles. He was the brother of James, the apostle, uh, both being the sons of Zebedee. That was their father. Uh, John, he was called by Jesus uh, to be one of the 12 disciples very early in his ministry. Therefore, John, he was a, an eyewitness of the words and uh, the works and the miracles and uh, even the life of Jesus Christ. John also wrote four other books of the New Testament, being uh, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. He also wrote the last book of the Bible, being the book of Revelation. So in this passage, uh, in the second last chapter of John's Gospel, or John's eyewitness account, if you want to call it that, Jesus had been crucified. Uh, he had been buried and uh, he was risen from the dead. Jesus appeared to his disciples as well as many others after the, he had risen from the dead, before he ascended back to heaven. So when Jesus had appeared to the disciples the first time, one of the apostles wasn't there. And uh, we'll pick that up uh, there in our passage in verse uh, 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. So the apostles, you know, they weren't expecting to see Jesus risen from the dead, even though they'd been told uh, this clearly by Jesus himself uh, that this would happen. And in Luke chapter 9, the Apostle Peter, uh, after acknowledging that Jesus is the Christ, uh, uh, Jesus then told uh, the disciples this in Luke chapter 9, verse 20 to 22, uh, 21 to 22, 
and he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. <coughs> so could you imagine seeing the crucifixion of, of Jesus Christ and you saw it with your own eyes and then seeing him buried in a tomb and then having appear, having him appear to you raised from the dead. Uh, this is uh, an extraordinary thing uh, for anyone to see. Uh, you can understand the words of Thomas, uh, not believing the others. You know, when they said uh, that Jesus, we've seen Jesus, you'd be thinking, you know, I, I really, I've got to see this for myself. You know, Thomas was definitely uh, not an easily led kind of guy. You know, he, he wanted tangible evidence. You know, he wanted not to only see Jesus, uh, but he wanted to put his finger into the holes in his hands where the, where the nails went in. He wanted to put his hand into the side where the, where the spear went in and where all the uh, water and the blood gushed out leave, you know, that when, when Jesus was crucified, you know, le leaving no life left in him. And uh, you'd have to understand, uh, or imagine if you were one of your dead friends or relatives you know, appeared to you and started talking to you. Now you wouldn't believe it, would you? You'd be thinking, you know, is this someone who just looks like them, or is this really them? You know, sh surely it's not them. You know, some call Thomas doubting Thomas. You know, I like to call Thomas meticulous Thomas. You know, he wasn't going to be taken for a ride very easily. That's just kind of the nature of this guy. Now I can understand him. I'm a, I'm a little bit that way myself. Uh, you know, I like to look at. Uh, the evidence of things, I like to weigh things up. I'm the type of person that'll uh, kind of look, really want to look into something, you know, before I'm going to believe it. You know, it's not that you doubt something, but you just want to make sure uh, of something, you know, and there's, there's nothing really wrong with that. So another eight days went past from when Jesus appeared to the disciples, uh, and, but this time Thomas, uh, he was with them. And uh, we'll see that at, in verse 26. And after eight days, again, his disciples uh, were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. So not only did Jesus appear to Thomas, but he already knew what Thomas wanted to do to believe in him, uh, that it was Jesus, that it was Jesus that was risen from the dead. Thomas didn't need any more convincing uh, than that. You know, it doesn't say whether he actually uh, reached out to touch Jesus and, and put his finger in the holes. Uh, we just see his response here. But look at his response in verse 28. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God, so I want to challenge you today, is Jesus Christ your Lord and your God? Have you believed like Thomas? Is, is Thomas's testimony good enough for you or do you want to be faithless and put your finger in the nail holes? It seems to me that Thomas stopped short uh, of doing that before he believed that it was Jesus. Jesus knowing Thomas's very thoughts of what he wanted to do seemed to be enough for Thomas. You know, could he have proceeded to fill the wounds? Now, it may be, but the text doesn't say. But some people 
Now they need a little bit more to believe than someone else. You know, for some they want to make sure that the the written account, you know, being the Bible, hasn't been um, distorted uh, or corrupted in some way. Uh, and there's there's nothing wrong with that. For some, it's it's not that they doubt the written account has been preserved. They just doubt the account of what has been written. They have faith, but it's in their own understanding. Uh, they don't won't believe unless they can put their finger in the nail holes or in the wounds. But you know, for some of these people, they'll still believe that you know two bits of nothing collided to make everything billions and billions of years ago. Something that they're never going to uh, see with their own eyes. And it's not that they don't have faith. It's just that their faith is is grossly misplaced. So there are many. There were many before Jesus came. And even many today that simply will not believe the written account. They don't believe what was written about Jesus before he came, and they will not believe what was written after he came. Uh, they simply will not believe unless they can put their finger in the, in the nail holes. But Jesus calls this faithless. He calls this faithless. So there were many waiting for Jesus to come who never got to see him in the flesh. There were many looking forward to the Messiah, the Saviour of the world, and are looking forward to him coming in all ages, and yet they did not see him in the flesh. And Jesus says this, uh, this to Thomas, look at verse 29. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me and hast believed, blessed are they that have not seen and yet believed. Now who, are some, who, who could some of these people be? Well, Abraham, he was one of these people. Uh, he was one of them. Jesus said to the unbelieving Jews in John 8, chapter 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. Moses, he's another man that saw it. In Hebrews 11, 24 to 27, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be, the court, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured, look at this, <coughs> as seeing him who is invisible. So anyone of faith in the Bible, all the way from Adam, Adam, even Adam's son we see there in Hebrews, is described as people who never received the promises of God in their lifetime. Uh, but they knew the substance of their faith and where it leads. Uh, they were all heaven, heavenward bound. They were on their way to heaven. They believed in God's promises to bring his plan about. Jesus Christ, heaven, uh, redemption, it was all fulfilled in, in, in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 11.13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen, having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So I want to put it to you, are you a stranger and a pilgrim on this earth? Are you looking forward to a heavenly country? Or are you at home in this country and all of its... Uh, pleasures and its riches and uh, do you feel at home here or do you feel at home in the, in, in, uh, the future 
uh, you know, the things that God hath, has for us, or even in uh, His way of doing things, or, or do you, are you happy and comfortable in the way the world does things? See, Thomas Hill was in this unique time in history where he saw and witnessed Jesus Christ's life. He witnessed his death, uh, his burial, and also his resurrection. Thomas had the written account before the things that were leading up to this, was, which was written in the Hebrew Bible, known as the Old Testament, and he got to witness the fulfilment of it, uh, of Jesus Christ. He got the, the, the witness the, the fulfilment of the account that was written in his day, and even the, uh, he even got to witness the ascension of Jesus back to heaven. So we live in a privileged day where we have the preserved uh, written account, not only before uh, the promised events that took place in Thomas's day, but we have the written account of what happened in Thomas's day. Uh, we have the book uh, with the account that was written before Christ came, when Christ came, and also after Christ ascended to heaven. We have a lot more. But the question is, have you believed the written account and accept it as truth? Is Jesus Christ, like Thomas, your Lord and your God? So what does this look like? Does that look like anything? Well, the Apostle John, he writes here in our passage in John 20, 30, uh, uh, John 20 uh, verse 31, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus, Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Life through his name. And let's look at some of the key things that John wrote in what was written. What did he write? Uh, turn to John chapter 1, and the first one is that Jesus is the Christ. He is the promised Messiah, known as the Word of God, sent from God to take away the sin of the world. We see there in uh, John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Uh, look at verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of, only, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Look at verse 29. <coughs> Here we see uh, the purpose of God sending his Son. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him uh, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That's John the Baptist here. But Jesus, he came into this world to save sinners from their sin. And this is uh, a, a fundamental thing to believe. If this is not what you believe Jesus came to do, then you are essentially believing another Jesus. Some people think that Jesus came into this world to give them uh, you know, a, just a better life, uh, you know, this side of heaven, you know, or you know, that Jesus came to give them material things, you know, wealth or even things like uh, happiness. But that's not why Jesus came. Yes, believing that Jesus came into this world to save you from your sin, it's going to make you happy. It's going to give you joy uh, if you understand what you truly deserve. If you understand what you truly deserve and how much you've been forgiven, it's going gonna, it's gonna to bring a sense of joy. It just will. And, uh, it, and it will bring a sense of joy no matter what you're facing. 
because you know where you're going, you know that you're heaven bound and uh, life will be better in this sense that it doesn't matter if I have nothing. It doesn't matter if I have nothing, I have a new life in Christ and I'm going to go on to an, into eternity with him. In that sense it's going to be it's better, it's way better, way better than anything that you can have in this world. But he came into this world as the Lamb of God. The only way that sin can be atoned is by the Lamb of God. And uh, he had to be slain for the sin of mankind. And it's not just any lamb. Not any lamb can be slain for the sin of mankind. So believing that the Lamb of God is Jesus, the Son of God, is fundamental. It's fundamental. Look at verse 34. John the Baptist speaking here, he says, And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. So the Word of God and the Son of God are one and the same. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and the Word was with God, and the, word, and the Bible says the Word was God. Jesus is God the Son. We read before, Thomas said, My Lord and my God. And my Lord means my supreme, means my master, supreme in authority, supreme in divinity. Is Jesus your supreme? Is he the authority in your life? Is, or is he just a, a tack on and, and you are really the authority and that just kind of tacks along with you? So Jesus said, you must be born again. Do you believe that? What does that look like? Does that look like anything? What does it look like to be born again? Is that just a... A phrase that has no meaning. Look at John chapter 3. See, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And we see it there again in verse 6 and 7. Uh, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say, said unto thee, ye must be born again. It's a must. So Jesus went on to tell Nicodemus that believing in, uh, uh, believing in Jesus and that uh, God gave him, uh, for the sin of the world and uh, that's what it means to be born again it's believing uh, in Jesus Christ that God gave him for the sin of the world look at verse 16 for God so loved the world still talking to Nicodemus that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life so what does that belief look like how, how does it manifest itself can we tell Look at verse 20 and to 21. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But look at this. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, <coughs> that they are wrought in God. That's what it looks like when a man believes. He comes to the light. He doesn't just look at it. He doesn't just point to it. He comes to the light that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. A man might say he has believed, but has he come to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. 
And that word wrought means to work or labour, to uh, do work, to, uh, to trade, to make gains by trading or do business or to do or work out. Uh, you know, that's what it looks like when someone believes and is born again. He comes to Jesus, who is the light of the world, that his deeds may be made manifest and the Lord starts to do a work in that person's life as they willingly stand under the light. That's what happens. Jesus didn't come to satisfy our physical needs, he came to satisfy our spiritual needs. And uh, that looks like a, a person who wants to follow Christ. That's what it looks like. It manifests itself in that way. A, a person who has understood the gospel, who has come to the light, he, he wants a change. He wants to change his life because he doesn't want to follow his way anymore. He wants to follow the Lord's way. That's how it manifests itself. You know, but there are a lot of people who will only follow Jesus while the going is good. You know, they believe that Jesus came to do uh, miracles for them or something like that. That's what they believe. You know, but Jesus' miracles were only to prove his power and that he was who he said he was. His, his miracle, miracles authenticated his ministry. But his ministry and why he came was to save sinners from their sin. That's why he came. Look at John 6, 26. Turn over to John 6, 26. Some people following uh, Jesus and uh, these Jews. And Jesus answered them and said, and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. But what about when the loaves stop? What about when the persecution comes? What about when you might lose everything? See, Jesus is more concerned about whether a person is on the spiritual meat, not so much the physical meat. Look at verse 27. He says, There labour not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. See, Jesus, he is that spiritual meat. Jesus is the spiritual meat. Look at verse 51 of chapter 6. Jesus said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever, and the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I'll give for the life of the world. See, Jesus is more concerned about a person's spiritual state rather than their physical state. Jesus wasn't meaning uh, to literally eat his flesh here uh, in order to have life. And <coughs> we see that. Look at verse 62. Jesus says, And what if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up to where he was before? Well, that's a good question. You know, if he meant to literally eat his flesh, what if he ascended back to heaven? Look at verse 63. Jesus clarifies what he means here. He's not talking about physical, he's talking spiritual. He says, It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So what is Jesus saying? What is he saying? He's saying that his words are what give life. They are spirit and they are life. When a man believes the word of God, the message of the cross, the message of Jesus, the written account inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, these things that we have in this book that are written, 
That's when a man is made alive by the Holy Ghost. He's a born, he is born again. He is saved. So the Word of God not only leads a man to salvation, but it also feeds him after salvation as well. Jesus said uh, this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. He says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So you can claim to be a Christian and put and also put God's word aside. So you can claim to be a Christian and just put this book aside. You can't live a physical life though without physical food, can you? Well, no, you can't live a, a, a physical life without food any more than you can live a spiritual life without spiritual food. You can't. You just can't. So do you, do you adhere to the word of God? Have you come to Christ as it is written? Do you love the Word of God and want to live by it? Is it part of your necessary food, so to speak, spiritually speaking? Do you find it spiritually satisfying, the Word of God? Do you have a craving for it? If you have truly believed according to as it is written, if you have drank of the fountain of, of living water, then Christ will dwell in you by his Holy Spirit. And, we'll, and, and the Bible says it will flow out of you like rivers of living water. We'll see this in chapter 7. Turn to John chapter 7, verse 37. And we'll look at 37 to 39. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Uh, but this he spake, he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. <coughs> so we can see there's no such thing as a being a used-to-be Christian. There's no such thing as that. You know, you hear a lot of people say, yeah, I used to be a Christian. But there's no such thing. If you stop eating God's word, spiritually speaking, as a Christian, you'll, you'll end up fading away to almost nothing very, very quickly. But a true believer who has believed according to the written account will continue in the word of God. It's his life. He can't survive without it. He may try to go without it for a, for a time, but the hunger pains are just too much that the hunger pains are too much. You now the craving for the, for the word of God just keeps bringing him back to this book. If a man claims to be a Christian and yet has ceased, just ceased eating from the word of God, especially when he has it available right there in front of him, he's been living a lie. If he ceased, He's been living a lie. They never knew the truth. He can't survive, spiritually speaking, without this book. Jesus says, you, you, you cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the, out of the mouth of God. So you, can, you, can, you can't have Jesus and yet put aside what he says. You can't have Jesus and put aside what he says. See, many believe on Jesus, but they do not continue in his word. Look at what Jesus says in chapter 8, John chapter 8. And we'll look at verse 
30 to 32. And as he spake, that's Jesus, these words, many believed on him. Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So you can't have Jesus and yet reject his truth. See, many people, they want Jesus, but they continue in their own truth, and they want to ignore what is written, the written account. But Jesus says you can't do that. You can't do that. He says, if you continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed. So what sort of a Christian are you going to be? Because the, the word of God, it's, it's not like a restaurant menu, you know, where you just kind of pick out the, the things that suit you. You know, you've either got to have all of it or you, you're going to have none of it. You know, the Bible, it's one meal, so to speak. You know, it's, it's, you need all the ingredients in it. You know, you need the, the squeeze of lemon or the, the, the ginger, uh, everything that goes into it, you know, because if, if you leave those things out, it's just not the Bible. The Bible's a book. You can't have parts of it and not others. You can't have Jesus and not follow him either. You can't say that you have Jesus and not follow Jesus. You know, there were Jews that thought that they were followers of God. They thought that they were his sheep and that the Lord was their shepherd. But they refused to recognize the voice of God when Jesus spoke. If they were his sheep, they would have recognized the voice of the shepherd. And we'll see this in uh, chapter 10. Look at John chapter 10 and look at verse 23. John chapter 10, verse 23. And Jesus, and, uh, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Look at this, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because you are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. Look at this. And they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. See, there are many today that believe or say they believe in God. They even uh, say they believe in Jesus. But is it the Jesus of the Bible? Is it the Jesus of the Bible? You know, is, is it the Jesus that is one with the Father? Do they follow this Jesus or another Jesus? So is your ear shut off from hearing Jesus' words? Because Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. Do you know him? Does he know you? Do you follow him? Because Jesus says this about his sheep. He says, I know them and they follow me. Jesus says you cannot love your life 
in this world too. He says this. He says and you can't love your life in this world and be a follower of Jesus. So there's nothing wrong with loving your life in, if your life is in Christ. But you love it because your life is in Christ and not in the world. There's nothing wrong with that. Anything apart from the things in Christ is corrupt. The world and its philosophy, it's corrupt. It's entertainment, corrupt. It's music. You know, gen generally speaking, if the majority of the world kind of approves of something, then most likely it's going to be corrupt. That's just what you see. But look at chapter 12, John chapter 12, and we'll look at verse 25 to 26. Jesus says, He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honour. So the, Jesus, the way of Jesus, it's a, it's a narrow way. It's not the, the big, broad way of the world. You know, a follower of Jesus Christ, he's going to be led by Jesus Christ. That's what it means. If you're going to follow, that means you're, you're being led uh, by Jesus Christ. And, and you'll, want to, you'll want to serve him. A follower, he will, he will listen to the words of the shepherd and uh, the, the sheep will hear the words of the shepherd and, and follow the shepherd and he'll want, and, uh, and he'll want to uh, do the things that the shepherd wants him to do. Now you can't have a relationship with Jesus if you uh, reject what he says. You, you can't. There's no, you just can't have a relationship with Jesus. You cannot bear fruit in him uh, unless you abide in him. The Bible says that. It says... You can't abide in Christ. You can't say you abide in Christ yet reject what he says. A dead branch, when you think about it, on a tree, uh, it's not going to bear fruit. If, it, if there's a dead branch on a tree, it's not even going to, it's not going to bear fruit because it's dead. Even though it may appear to be attached uh, to the tree or the vine, it, but if it, if it isn't, it can't bear fruit. It might look like it is, but it, 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 look at John chapter 15, we'll see this. Look at chapter 15. John chapter 15, we'll look at verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine. He says, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth, beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So how do you abide in the vine and make sure that you're attached? Well, you obey what it says. Look at verse 3. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So notice here, it's the responsibility of, of, the, of the man or the person uh, to abide 
in Christ and it's related to his words. You can't have one without the other. You can't have one without the other. Look at verse 6 and 7. <coughs> if, a if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. A true branch, he, he will abide in the vine, and, uh, and uh, that branch relies on the vine for all of its nourishment. Look at verse 10. If you, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So abiding in the vine, it has everything to holding fast to Jesus and doing what he says. You know, and it's not a burden. Uh, it's a joy. Uh, it's a delight. Look at verse 11. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. So is your Christian walk a joy or is it a burden? Is it a joy or a burden? It should be a joy no matter what you're going through because of what you understand about Jesus Christ and his love toward you. You, can, you know, there might be some uh, hard things that you have to go through in this life and, um, but overall, things are a joy when you're in Christ and uh, uh, we see it there. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you. Are, you. are you in the vine? Are you abiding in the vine? If you abide in Christ and his word and not in the world, you're not going to be popular. You won't be popular. Now, there's something not quite right if you claim to be a Christian and yet you are loved by the world. You know, there's a couple of things that could be wrong here. You know, you're either silent about the truth of the corruption that is in the world and you're not saying anything, <laughs> or you're indulging in these things of the world along with the world. That could be the other thing. Look at verse 18 to 20 of chapter 15. Jesus said, if, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, <coughs> but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. So persecution... Uh, in some form, it's inevitable for the one that follows Jesus, for someone who abides in the vine. Now, but there's a reason for that. There is a reason. It doesn't happen for no reason. You know, if you, if you live for Jesus Christ and his righteousness, then the world won't like it. The world won't like it. And, if you, will be, and, and you will be persecuted for living according to Jesus Christ and his righteousness. The world doesn't like it. But don't let it bother you because that's been happening for a very long time. It's been happening for a very long time, persecution uh, to believers. Jesus said in Matthew chapter uh, 
5, verse 10 to 12, on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. It's been happening for a long time. You know, we, we can't let those kinds of things get, get us down. Uh, you know, but <coughs> you may even be rejected uh, by professing believers for abiding in the vine. That's also true. Some people, uh, you know, they look for a church that's going to suit their own life. Uh, you know, they, they're not really concerned uh, with the way that God may, may want them to live, uh, you know, according to his word. Uh, you've got to understand, just because a church uh, may have the title church, it doesn't always mean that uh, they're abiding in the vine. You know, the synagogues uh, were the place of worship at the time uh, when Jesus said uh, these words to his disciples. Um, you know, today we have churches, not synagogues, but if we look at chapter 16, look at uh, verse 1, John chapter 16, verse 1. Jesus said, These things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth, killeth you will think that he doeth God's service, <coughs> excuse me, and these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. They have not known the Father nor me. But these are synagogues. These were meant to be the, the place of worship. These were meant to be God followers. Uh, so don't be fooled. Uh, just because it has the title doesn't mean that everyone there is abiding in the vine. Uh, but the only way you can know the Father and Jesus Christ is by this book. That's the only way. It's the only way that you can know uh, the Father and Jesus Christ is by the book here, uh, and that's called the Bible. You know, if you reject what it says, then you reject who it is written about. Because we live in a day where, where a lot of churches are even offended with the Bible. might sound strange, but they're offended with the Bible. You know, they, they have watered-down Bibles uh, to suit their, their watered-down preaching. And, uh, you know, they're always trying to change the meaning of things, you know, or to say it differently, you know, or, or to dumb it down somehow. You know, they, they say, they even read a, a scripture and say, look, you know, a better reading would be like this or... You know, this really shouldn't be in there. Um, you know, this wasn't in there or, you know, in, in the Greek it, it, it means this or that. So this should have said this or that. And, um, you know, they just they put down on this book all the time and, they, and they're constantly trying to water it down. But you've got to understand that God only, in, only ever intended one meaning for his word. There's only one meaning. Uh, he's, he, he calls this truth. It's singular. It's not truths. It's not truths. It's not up for debate. Mm. Now I've heard so many times people say things like, oh, but you know, it depends on how you interpret it. I mean, yeah, it does. It does in, in, depend on how you interpret it. That's true. But God only intended it to be interpreted one way. 
not many. If it was meant to be many, then it's not truth. It becomes truths. And you can't have truths plural if they contradict each other. You can't have that. It's either one is true and the other false. Both can't be true. One has to be false and it needs to go. One has to be false. Because Jesus said these words, he says, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He didn't say the truths will make you free. The Bible's not up for debate. There's no, God only ever intended for one understanding of his word. Uh, look at chapter 17, and uh, we'll see what Jesus prayed for his disciples before uh, he went to be crucified. So look at chapter 17, <coughs> and we'll look at verse 6. He says uh, in his prayer to the Father, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and they gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. They have kept thy word. What a testimony. That's the word that I want. I want the word that they kept. I want, that's the one that I want. The one that has only one meaning. That's, that's the one that I want. Look at verse 7. Now, now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. So praise God for giving his words. If it wasn't for his words, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have faith in Christ. If it wasn't for his words here, we'd have nothing to believe in. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, it says in Romans 10 verse 17. But look at verse 14. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. See, the words of this book are not only the most copied and printed words in the world, but they are also the most destroyed and burnt words in the world. Now, why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? I think it's because of this. I think it's because God makes sure that everyone gets to hear his words because God is good. And it's the truth of God's words that can save them. Not only to save a man, but to live off as well. But the world hates it and tries to destroy it because it exposes the corruption. Not only that's in the world, but it, it, it exposes the corruptions that, that are in, in our individual lives as well. So there's no wonder it holds those two records. No wonder. But that's... The reason that it's burnt is because people don't want it. It's because of their own rejection. Look at verse 20, Jesus says, Neither pray I for these alone, but look at this, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou Father art in me, and I in thee. But they also, but 
that they also may be one in us, that the world, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me through their word. The written account of the real events, the same word that was given to them, that was given to you and me. The way to be saved, the right way to live, passed down from heaven and compiled into the book called the Bible. What a miracle. What a miracle. Look at chapter 18, verse 19 to 20. Chapter 18, look at verse 19 to 20. And this is uh, not long before they crucified Jesus. <coughs> verse 19, the high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples, look at this, and of his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world, I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whether the Jews always resort, and in secret have I said nothing. So there's no tricks with the doctrine of Jesus. There's no tricks, there's no hidden meanings, nothing to hide, plain and simple, straightforward. That's the word of God. This is the word of God. Look at chapter 19, verse 1. Chapter 19, verse 1. And look what they did. Look what happened. And Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Look at verse 6. When the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Look at verse 16. Then delivered he him, therefore, unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew uh, Golgotha, where they crucified him. And two other with him, on either side one, <coughs> and Jesus in the midst. Look at verse 29 and 30. Now there was a set of vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop, and put it into his mouth. And look at this. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. So here we see what the world thinks of Jesus. This is what they did. Jesus willingly, willingly submitted himself to this. For you and I, for the sin of the whole world, every man and woman has ever been born, Jesus laid down his life for them, that if they believe and be saved. Look at verse 35. And he that saw it, this is John speaking, bear record. And his record is true. And he knoweth 
that he saith true, that ye might believe, that ye might believe. This is John's account. Look at verse 41. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, a tomb where, he, where was never a man laid, uh, yet laid. <coughs> there laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day for the sepulchre uh, was nigh at hand. He was buried. They buried Christ. He was crucified and buried. And then we read of Jesus' resurrection in chapter 20. Uh, Jesus uh, first appearing, appearing to Mary Magdalene in verse 14 to 15, uh, saying, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? This is Jesus risen, appearing to Mary, then appearing to the disciples in verse 19, you know, standing in the midst of them and saying, Peace be unto you. <coughs> and that brings us back to Thomas. In verse 27, brings us back to Thomas. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. Look at this, and be not faithless, but believing. Look at Thomas's response. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. So is Jesus your Lord and God? Have you been born again? Have you believed that Jesus came into the world to save you from your sin? Have you come to the light that your deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God? Have you done that? Are you living by the word of God? Do you have a spiritual appetite for Jesus and his words? Do you love it? Do you keep it? Do you love Jesus? Are you a follower? Of Jesus Christ? Is he your shepherd? Do you know his voice? Does he know you? Are you abiding in the vine? Is there any fruit? Are you prepared to live for him and be shunned by the world for doing so? Or do you want to be faithless and put your fingers in the wounds instead of believing the written account? We've only skimmed over the written account of John. And according to John, there were many other things, amazing things, that he could have written. John 20, verse 29, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou seest me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But look at this. But these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. So do you believe the written account? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Do you live it? Are you prepared to live it? 
Are you a dead branch or are you in the vine? Let's pray.